0: I mean, is there anybody else who's excited that Jesus offers new life? Anyone? Anyone excited about that? I mean, praise God. He allows new life and new purpose and everything about us is new, a new heart, a new mind, a, a new longing for him. I mean, I'm just, just listening to that and just worshiping and just kind of praying about everything that's going on in the room and, and about my talk right now. And I was thinking, man, God, we have such an amazing God who loves us. That God who, just, who not only loves us but he equips us to do things and then he equips us to do what it is we're talking about in this series that, that equips us to go. That God's call is for ordinary people in everyday life. He does the extraordinary. He does the gifting. He gives the power. He gives the purpose. He gives the relationships. He puts you in the right place at the right time for you to share his love with other people. And God is at work in all of that. And to think that we can begin our, our marching order, so to speak, as Christians. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. You're welcome in this place. But if you're a Christian, it's like we begin our marching orders because our leader sits on a throne. He is, he is high and lofty. He is sitting on a throne right now. Death could not defeat him. He resurrected, and he's sitting on a throne. And we actually, we are going in this series because we've already gained victory. Amen? That is the God that we serve. And yet he uses ordinary people. Look at the person next to you and say, you are so ordinary. That was not, that, you didn't have enough attitude in that. Say, you are so ordinary. Ah, there, hey, tone down the attitude. I, I don't know, we need to find a sweet spot. Now look to the person next to you and say, but you know what? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It's for us just to be willing to be used of God to take this message seriously. We're in week three of this series, and what I've said in, in the midst of all of these, I've, I've gone through the scriptures, and I've boiled down the scriptures, really a main takeaway, and the first two weeks, I, I've just boiled it down to a phrase, and in each talk, and those phrases go together, and you're going to get another one today. It's really the bottom line of today's message, but we're going we're gonna to build upon throughout these five uh, messages. We're going to build upon these five ideas. So for you, you may be thinking, ah, go. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't, I've got this person at work, and the, I see that they're far from Jesus, or I, I have this person who they think they're close to Jesus, but they don't have markers of Jesus, uh, walk with Jesus. So I just don't know where they are. And you're going to put these five things together, and these, this is going to be a nice little bundle that is going to be kind of like just a very simple way for you to understand how to evangelize, who to evangelize, and when to evangelize. So everybody needs that. Everybody needs a little bump. Even if it's familiar to us, we need a little bump in the right direction. And and for some of you today, I'm gonna give you a little bump. And for some others, I'm gonna give you a little bump. But trust me, I love you as your pastor. Either way, you're gonna be going to do what it is that God wants you to do. So hopefully when you came in today, you were given a chocolate chip cookie. Did anyone get a chocolate chip cookie when you came in? Anyone? Anyone got it? A few cookie takers. Who wishes they would have had a cookie? when they Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's too late. They're gone. They're gone. It's for the students tonight. They're going to devour them. They always do. Um, yeah, look at them. They're excited now, a couple of them. Um, but even when you came in and I, I gave you those cookies, that was totally my idea. I wanted to win you over and woo you over to my side. Not really. The reason why I gave you those cookies is because I want to talk about something. Just for a second. I want to talk about somebody on Sesame Street. I don't know about you, but I grew up on Sesame Street. Anybody else grew up on Sesame Street? Anyone? And you you younger people are like, what's Sesame Street? Sounds like Chinese food. No, it's not. It's it's not that. Some of you are lost, but it's okay. Google it later. Um, But I grew up on Sesame Street. And there was one particular character on Sesame Street who I think was often misunderstood. And he liked to eat cookies. What was his name? Right. Man, you guys are so smart. The 915... They were like, they didn't even know who it was. You guys are like in this. You're like, you have a longing for Sesame Street or something. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I love you either way. Um, but I wanted you to have that cookie because I want to talk about, briefly, Cookie Monster. Now, to me, there's a lot of characters on Sesame Street that are just weird. Big Bird, yellow, weird. Bert and Ernie, kind of normal-ish. Um, Elmo. Tickling thing, got weird in a hurry as soon as that, and that fad came and went, I was so thankful that it did, right? i am just be honest with you. From my heart to yours, I'm so glad it's gone. But yeah, the one that's neglected, and then, well, I mean, then there's one living in the trash can, but everybody knows you just had a bad attitude, just need to close the lid on that. Anyway, sorry. I'm just getting it out there. Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster could not get enough of what? Tell me. Cookies. Cookies. They, I, I even had somebody during the 9-15 be like, Cookie Monster, it was like, that was weird. Um, anyway, they did it. And uh, so the cookie monster could not get enough of cookies. So I wanted you to have the opportunity to at least have a chocolate chip cookie because yes, the cookie monster couldn't get enough of cookies and he had a craving for what? Cookies, thank you. He had a craving for cookies, but I want you to know that you and I have a craving for hope. Every single person who walks on the face of the earth, has. we crave hope. That's what we want. So just as the cookie monster had this longing for more and more Cookies. We have a longing for more and more hope. We want hope. And I've, I've ran into this definition of hope and I love this definition. It says hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. Hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. Like, wow, I can actually, you know, there's certain words you look at in the Bible and you're like, I think I know what it means, but I really don't know what it means. And yet this, uh, This pastor, theologian, said this, and I was like, wow, I can get behind that. I totally understand that, or at least understand it more than I did before. Hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. Interesting thing about hope is this. You and I will either find hope in either we'll find our our hope in Christ. It says in Colossians 127 that it is Christ in you who is the hope of what? Glory. So it's like either we'll find our, our, our hope in Christ or consequently, and it's either one of two different things, or we'll find our hope in something else or in somebody else or in another possession, or we'll find it in just something other than God. You see, either We try and fill that reservoir. We allow God to fill that reservoir of our emotional strength with the work of Christ, celebrating the work of Christ in our life, preaching the gospel to ourselves, living out the gospel message as true born-again followers of Jesus, or we will try and replenish that reservoir ourselves. We'll try and replenish it with things we learn. And this is something that we can get so easily deceived about here in church. We can try try and fill up that reservoir of hope with, our intellect with well we just go through this Bible study and I I just completed this Bible study and I did this and I was part of that group and I was I was in community group, and I, I've been doing my devotions where I just read the Bible and all of this, and, and those things aren't inherently bad, but unfortunately, what happens is we can get so caught up in just the knowing instead of the doing part of it, to where it's just like we know, no, 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 and yet we're, we're counting on that to be our hope, our emotional strength, and, and I have to tell you, there, there sometimes is a clear disconnect from my head to my heart, amen? What about your life? And, and yet, the, the emotional strength is not just a matter of our intellectual things. Some, some folks, they try and do it by an education. They're like, ah, ah, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. And I love the fact that adults go back and get education. I I think it's great. So much opportunity, but you have to watch where your hope lies. Uh, Oftentimes we try and put our hope in our education and saying, yes, as soon as I get this, this, I complete this degree plan. As soon as I get this this diploma, as soon as I get this thing, then I'm gonna have, them, then there's something brighter on the other side. And that's just not really gonna work out well for you if that's where your hope is lying. From somebody who I have a couple degrees and a couple pieces of paper, I just wanna tell you, that's not the best way to go. I, I applaud you for going back to school, but that's not your hope. That's not your hope. If that's your hope, what are you gonna do when you get that piece of paper? Where's that? where's where gonna happen to that reservoir? going down, right? Because life's going to happen. It's going to deplete that, and you're not going to have hope. So some of us, we rely upon our intellect. Some of us rely upon our education. Some of us rely on just being good. We just rely on just being good. If I'm just, if I'm just really good and moral, then then that's, that gives me hope that I'm, that I'm okay with God, that God's okay with me because I'm pretty moral. As a matter of fact, I'm more moral than most of the other people in my life. I'm, I'm the most moral person when I go to my family reunion, so obviously God smiles upon me, and he says, ah, oh, that person is obviously got it together, and we can even use that, Satan can use that to twist us into building up this reservoir called hope. And And then sadly, also this happens too when we 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 get fixated on a certain um a certain time frame like it's we think well i'm just i'm i'm just building this reservoir because there's going to be one day when my life changes where i i get out of school or or he finally proposes or she says yes or we get married or or the kids move out or my kids get out of diapers right it's like then we can kind of push off life and what we're doing is we're actually pushing off hope to say, well, hope's coming, hope's coming, hope's coming, but what about now? And we're just displacing hope. We're just kicking it up the road. We're kicking it up the road until we get to the, to the next kind of phase in our life and it says, no, then, then we can have hope. The gospel offers so much more than that. Then just waiting for one day, then everything, everything's gonna work out or you're gonna get to this part in your life. To have it figured out. The gospel offers more than that. So you can have this reservoir of emotional strength called hope to be filled. Because just like Cookie Monster, everybody craves hope. We we all crave it. Some of us, uh, like I said a moment ago, in one of two categories, we either fill it with Christ, fill it with the Holy Spirit residing within us. Or we fill it with self-preservation, with self-esteem, with self-effort, with a bunch of things that we can try and throw in it and things that we can kind of control. So I just want, I want you to, to think of this. If you're losing hope nine times out of ten, what you're doing is you're actually putting your hope in something other than God. There are those, those, those moments to where our hope kind of wanes and, and God even allows us to kind of sit in a little bit to deepen our relationship with him. Uh, that's, the, that's the one out of 10. But the nine out of 10, those are the people who have hope on a level of what, just the things that they can control. And all of this, if your hope is in self, in your self-effort, your self um, all of those things, your life is gonna make sense to those who are far from God. If that's what your hope is, other people are gonna look at your life and they're gonna say it makes total sense because that's what they're doing too. You see, I think that, that Christians should be living such a life where other people outside of the faith, they don't understand us. I think that people should be looking at, uh, people who are far from God, looking at a Christian's life and they shouldn't be able to figure us out. They should, be, they should be scratching their head and saying, I just don't know. It seems like they're putting their hope in something different than me because I'm putting in my hope in the clothes I can put on my kids back, but they're not consumed with that. I'm putting my hope in where I can send my kids to school, but they just don't seem to be concerned about that. I, I, I'm I put my hope in where we can go on vacation and all the toys I can have, but they just don't be. They're just not that concerned with that. I'm I put my hope in in my popularity. I want to be known. I want people to know me. And it says I don't know those Christians. They just don't live like that. Our lives should not make sense to those who are far from God. I have two questions. You need both questions because the first one will cause you to to go kind of off a little bit, but the first question is this. Maybe Christians have tried to show and tell everyone how good they are, and that's actually become a lesser gospel. So instead of, of showing how good God is and how, how God works through ordinary people like you and me, how God works through broken people like you and me, instead of that, and we've just tried to be the moral police of everyone else, or we've tried to show ourselves as being so morally good, we're the people that have it all together, and maybe that's become a lesser gospel where it's it's less Jesus and just more you. Second question goes with the first one is this. Instead, here's what I think. We should tell people how bad we were so that we can show how God how good God really is that he would save sinners like us. What if that's what we did? What if instead just showing everybody the cleaned-up version of ourselves, how we have it together? What if we're honest with those who are far from God? And what if we're honest to, uh, to the point where we say, you know what? This is who I was before Christ. I was, I was evil. I was sinful. I didn't have hope. I tried to fill that reservoir with a bunch of worldly things, and it just didn't work. But then I surrendered my life to Jesus. Because in that, what you see is you're showing how good God is to save sinners like you instead of showing just simply how good you are. Because it would make sense that God would save good people, but God saves evil people. That's who God saves. So, maybe that's what we need to wrestle with a little bit before we get into the passage this morning. I mean, after all, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, our hope is is in this, is it not? In Colossians 1:13 and 14, our hope is right here. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son that he loves, in whom we have the we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like, is this not where our hope lies as Christians? That it's not in our own control. It's not in our own morality. It's not in, in our own intellect. It's not because we have a certain degree plan. It's not because we have perfect, cleaned-up kids. Is it because we have a big platform? It's because we were nothing. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ has made us alive in him. Is that not our story? That is our story. That he rescued us. He rescued that that. God the Father rescued us as sinners from the domain and darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption. We've been bought back from that. I mean, if that doesn't spur up hope within you, something's broken within you. Because in that is the forgiveness of of your sins, that you're not dead in your sins anymore. That if you've repented of those sins, Sins You've repented of your sin nature, that you have a a new nature, a new nature that, that has eyes to see, a new nature that has a heart to really love, and a new nature wants to please God more than simply pleasing people. You see, when people reject Jesus, it rarely ever comes from a lack of knowledge. It comes from a lack of giving oneself over to Jesus. So it's not a matter of you knowing the right things. It's not. And, and even that, if somebody gets to the point when people reject Jesus, it rarely ever comes because it's a lack of knowledge. We live in the, in the information age. People have everything they want at their fingertips at all times. So it's, it's not from a lack of information. It's a lack of willingness to submit to the lordship of Jesus. So the, the bottom line we're going to see in Matthew 13, as we go there, the bottom line is this. We're going to help people see what you see by telling them what you see. We're going to help people see what you see by telling them what you see. And we're going to, we're going to see at the end of this talk how the, the first three weeks go together. And this will all make sense at the end of this. But before we get into Matthew 13, I want to tell you what we're about to read and study together. The three different parables that are mentioned here in Matthew 13, right here in the section we're going to read, three different parables. And Jesus has a large crowd when he gives the parable, when he gives the first parable. And he goes from this parable, and it's a great parable, and some of you have heard of it, and then he just quickly adds into these other two parables, and then at the end of our passage this morning, then he's going to explain the first parable. And all of these things that Jesus is using to explain the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of heaven, it wasn't a simple location, as maybe some of you have believed. It isn't that you could just have eternity with God one day, someday. When Jesus would talk about the kingdom of heaven, he was talking about, sure, there's, there's a salvation that's rooted in Jesus, and, and Christ is the, the reservoir of our emotional strength, and he is our hope, he is that, but even in the midst of that, that we would live differently than then, that if we um, can live our life as a citizen of heaven, then that means that we would possess and we would cling to the promises of God that we find in the scriptures. So this wasn't just uh, of, of eternity, This was also about day-to-day, how to have a walk with Jesus, how to be a citizen of heaven, and how to be the the best citizen of heaven is by claiming the promises of God in the Scriptures. So we talk about the promises of God, and Jesus talked about the promises of God, but often in his parables he talked about the kingdom of heaven. And when he would talk about the kingdom of heaven, he understood this. This is going to be so important by the end of this talk. When Jesus would talk about the kingdom of heaven, he understood that he would talk to a bunch of people, but but several of them wouldn't be interested. So he would just talk, and then he would pull away, often, he would pull away, and those who were curious about what he said, who were really interested in what he said, they would follow after Jesus, and then ask the secondary question to get the explanation for the parable. And that's what we see here. So let's start a reading together, Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the, wheats, the weeds excuse me, also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from. An enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus begins this this part of his teaching with these parables explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And And he gives in into the explanation, and he digs into it a little bit more, so I don't want to give it all away. But what I, I do want us to hone in on are wheat and weeds. Wheat and weeds. In their culture, it was punishable by Roman law it, for someone to, to go in and take weeds and throw them in a field that had wheat. Because when... The seeds were down. They, You couldn't distinguish between the wheat and the weeds. And then even as they grew together at first, you couldn't tell a difference. So when Jesus is saying this to that culture, they didn't have pine trees all around them. They had wheat and weeds. So because of the... Of, of, the understanding that Jesus is talking about with the parable. At least they would know this part for sure. So he says, you, we want them to grow together. We're just going to let them grow together. Most, the most common um, belief thing that, that the weeds would be is a thing called darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L. And when you would sow this particular type of, of weed, of course it was indistinguishable, between wheat, until it actually bore its fruit. And then when actually it would show its fruit, then you would see what it was, but then it would be too late. So Jesus uses this, this parable, this illustration, if you will, talking about wheat and weeds. But what we're going to see is he's not just talking about wheat and weeds, he's talking about people. He's talking about people. But before I give all of that away, I want to ask you uh, a question, but the question is rooted in this verse. Matthew 7, 16 says this. One of the, I think, the most clear teachings, certainly the best sermon ever preached from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus himself. This is what he said, and this is what he would say about his disciples, or as we refer to today, Christians. He says, you can identify them by their fruit, Christian, non-Christian, Christian. That is, by the way they, what's it say? By the, by, the way, by the things they know. By what church you're affiliated with. That's what it is. Oh, if they're not attached to a church, then they can be the spiritual ones. Is that what it says? What did Jesus say? By the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? All right. So now here's a story. Crowd participation time. You get to talk to the person next to you again. This is a really good day. You get to talk in church twice. This is, And I, I won't even say anything about it. I'll just encourage it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to tell them what your favorite like vacation trip would be. Favorite vacation trip. Go for it. Favorite vacation trip. Don't be shy. If you're not talking to someone, I see you, just so you know. Favorite vacation trip. Favorite vacation trip. All right, all right, all right. You guys must have a long list. Did anyone say Hawaii? Anyone? 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 It's just Jordan and I. Just Jordan. Oh, here we go. We're going to Hawaii. We're heading out. Tell you this story. You have your your favorite vacation spot. You can fill in the blank. I'm going to say Hawaii, but you can fill in wherever it is, your dream spot, okay? Say, for instance, that my family and I decided um, that we were going to go to Hawaii on a three-week trip. Uh, I know, I know, that would be that would be amazing. And we we had set out this, we had this opportunity. It was just presented to us. It was really thrown in our lap. And and yet we knew that we were going to be gone for three weeks. So then we would have to get somebody to care for our house and all of those things. So we do. What we're supposed to, and we go to the Courier Herald, and we see that there's a young lady who says that she likes to to house sit, and which is great because she says she's done it a lot, gives a phone number, everything's awesome. She's done it a lot. She has references, past history. I mean, it just it looks good on print, right? So we're set. So, so we're we're getting ready to to go on this trip, and we talk to her, and she says, "Oh yeah, this is so easy." So I. I go out, and if you know me, this won't be a surprise. I make a 10-page long list of everything to care for about our house, those who are laughing or those who know. Um, so I, go, I just write this 10-page long thing about our house, and maybe I would explain to say, hey, um, just be careful because the guest bathroom toilet sticks... So you you really want to pay attention to that so it doesn't just flood the the place. So you want to jiggle it, and make sure because it sticks. And maybe for them, or maybe for this. In in I give this girl the instructions. Hey, I need you to feed the cat. Um, I, I need you to feed the cat. Here is the food. This is how much and the water. Take care of the cat and and the mail. Please get the mail. We get a lot of junk mails. So please go out to the mailbox. And and go out and just get the mail every day. Don't let it like build up and all of that. So we're kind of weird about that. So we want to get the mail in. She's like, okay, not a big deal. And I say, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, I almost forgot. And the trash. Please, uh, the trash needs to be taken out by the curb on Tuesdays. That's when they get the trash. So I put this all in my list and then I say, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And the plants. Please take care of our plants. They're all named. We don't have plants, by the way. They're all named. We love our plants. We have zero plants in our house. This is totally unrealistic at this point. But um, So I go through and play, please water the plants. It's a big deal. And I give this big, long list of things. I, I just lay it all out there. There's nothing that should be even questioned. And we take our trip, and we're loving it. I talk Marlon to taking a helicopter down into a volcano. <laughs> She's scared, but she's with me. I'm her protector. We're praying the whole time that we don't die. And we make it out, out of the volcano. We go to the beach, and we see the big waves. Now, we don't dare get in the water. I mean, we're not fools. But, like, we see the big waves, and we're like, oh, that's amazing. And we're in Hawaii, you know, and we're doing the, whatever you do in Hawaii, like all that stuff. And we're, we're just living it up. And we've even gone so far, we've we've put all the pictures ahead of time on Instagram. So you have Insta-envy, and like you're, you think you're, you want to be with us, and we're just sharing all this. And like we're just having a blast, and you get to experience this with us. And yet after three weeks, we're kind of bummed, and we come back to the house. And we're like, man, we had such a great time, like once in a lifetime. And it's, it's weird when we come home, because before we actually get into the To the driveway, I look out, and I see there's trash just strung all in the front yard, and that's weird, and then I glance over, and I see the mailbox, and it doesn't just have a little bit of mail. I mean, it's overflowing, and like, there's been such an effort to just cram the letters in, so it's just like, it's just all around there, and there's stuff on the ground, like not even enough to, like, nothing else will fit in there, and it's just so full up, so I'm getting confused. And then I, I go and I open the door that goes into our kitchen. And I'm met with this rush of water over my feet that sweeps over my feet. And, and obviously I'm concerned at this point. And then I, I walk into the house and I look through my kitchen window and I just happen to see like this fresh memorial from our cat. And then I look around and everything that was green in our house is brown and dead. And yet the person who is house sitting, she comes from in the back of the house and she's so excited, she says, Thank you so much for giving me that ten page, so that ten page description of everything I needed to do. It was so incredibly helpful. You probably know where I'm going with this. You see, I could have given her all the instructions and she could have said, oh, yes, I've got them. But her words and her actions didn't match up. Her words and her actions don't match up. You can be so spiritual. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Somebody needs this. You can be so spiritual and be far from God you can be so spiritual and know all the right verses at all the right times, and you can be the most moral, superior person in the room and be far from God. You can think that that parable, when it talks about the wheat, that that's your life. And you can be so convinced that you are the wheat, but yet your actions would show that you are of the weeds. So Jesus, he talks about the wheat and the weeds. And then he goes in and he talks about the mustard seed and the yeast. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than to say with the mustard seed. And this was something that was commonly taught in the New Testament or referred to in specifically in the Gospels about a mustard seed because it was so small, but yet it grew. And this is this is a mention of. Of influence, of What it is, how something can start so small and yet turn out so big. Think about this. The the message and really the, the movement of Christianity started out with 12 ordinary people. 12 ordinary people. Just normal laymen. They weren't the educated. They weren't the super spiritual. They were like fishermen that just worked hard, had smelly jobs, very ordinary. You may think that you're ordinary, but I want you to know you're exactly where God wants you to be. God can do extraordinary things with people who are just ordinary and who are willing to submit themselves to his work. Extraordinary things. So then, after this parable, Jesus gives the parable of the yeast. And in in the Bible, um, specifically in the Old Testament when the Bible would talk about yeast or even in the New Testament, it would say the yeast of the Pharisees. This was actually talking about sin and the influence of sin and, and how you, you get a little bit of sin and how it corrupts the whole thing. That's not what Jesus is making reference to here. He's talking about influence. He's saying it can start really, really small and it can be influential in a good way. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It started with this, this little pocket and now it can influence millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people, and that's what's happened. So you may think, what's so special? If you're far from God, you may think, what's so special about Christianity? I've, I've dug and found these things out. Years ago, Christianity birthed the first institution, the first institution for the blind. Years ago, Christianity birthed the first place there was a Christian, Christian business person was the first person who was dispensing medicine for free. It wasn't the government, go figure. The first hospital was actually founded by a Christian woman. Think of the example that those three things have set and how those things seemingly started so, so small, but yet they gave birth to a vision The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It's just, it grows and expands. And it's become so much larger than what it began with. Now let's go into the explanation of the first parable, starting in verse 36. Let's read it together. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. Notice, he had a larger group. He went into the house. He gives the explanation to the smaller group, those who were interested in getting it his disciples came to him and said explain to us the parable of the wheat of the weeds in the field he answered the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man the field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels he who has ears, let him hear. And it wasn't just, oh, now you, now you hear. But he's saying, no, now you understand, and now do something with what I've told you. So in it is the implication of action, not simple knowledge. I'm not going to go through and explain all this parable because Jesus just did, and I would just be taking away from the clarity that he adds. I will say a couple things, though. Jesus at first was speaking to a group of people who thought they were automatically going to heaven because they were of a certain ancestry. They thought because they came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they were in. Jesus was saying even amongst those people, he says, if you're a believing Jew, you are of the wheat. But if you're an unbelieving Jew, you're of the weeds. So when he would give this explanation, it was scandalous Because they thought they were automatically in. Not that far-fetched from what happens today when people think they're automatically going to heaven because their parents were very spiritual. Or because their grandparent was, their grandfather was a deacon. Or because their their grandfather or great-grandfather was a pastor decades ago. And now they think, well, I automatically have this special blessing because I have this family member in ministry. It's not that far-fetched today to think, well, if I'm just connected to a church, then I'm automatically part of the wheat. But I dare to say this, if you are not born again, if you've not submitted your life to Jesus, if you've not accepted the forgiveness of your sins, you are not of the weeds, ladies and gentlemen. You're not of the wheat, you're of the weeds. And oh, how I wish it wasn't true. But when Jesus would say this, it was in so many ways scandalous because they thought they were automatically in, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The, the believing Jews are the wheat they're in, but the unbelieving Jews are the weeds, and you're out. We see a similar dynamic happening in the church even today. Today. Because the wheat and weeds grow side by side within the church. Look carefully at the screen. Oh, how I wish it wasn't true. Oh, how I wish that, that I could speak to you as if you were all the wheat. Like there's an eternity with God waiting for you. Oh, how I wish that I could tell you that everybody's saved. Everybody's in if they're just a good person. Oh, how my my heart longs to tell you that. But I will not tell you that and defy the truth of God's word. The truth is the wheat and the weeds grow side by side, even within the church, even within this church, even maybe within this room right now. But there's a judgment. There's a judgment that's coming, and it's going to separate the wheat and the weeds Eternally. Where are you? Are you of the the wheat that will be gathered and spend eternity with God in heaven? Getting to live the abundant life that we see in John 10.10. We can live that now. Possessing the promises of Scripture now. Or are you of the weeds are you of the weeds? Jesus would talk about who controls the weeds. He would talk about that in John 8, 44. The Apostle Paul would mention that also in Ephesians 2, who was actually leading the weeds. And the person who is leading the weeds is Satan himself. The person who is um, who, is, who is of the weeds, they are doing Satan's bidding on earth, even today. Oh, how I wish that I would, I would just be able to guarantee you that your hope is in Christ and that you're in, but I would be lying to you because I believe firmly that some of you are of the wheat and some of you are of the weeds, and they may be growing side by side and you may, we may be able to bluff our way for now. You may be able to bluff your way with the people who are around you. You may be able to go decades living a lie. But there's a judgment that's coming. And that judgment will separate the wheat from the weeds. And the wheat will be gathered and they will spend an eternity in heaven with God. And the weeds will be gathered and they will spend eternity in a real place called hell facing their ultimate demise. Are you of the wheat or the weeds? Settling into our application point, then I'm going to cycle back to the wheat and weeds. I want to help you now to be able to differentiate, even within the church, within your relationships of uh, the wheat and weeds, looking for those markers we talked about in the last series of Who do I think is a follower of Jesus? Not passing judgment, but Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit. They're either wheat or weeds. So when it comes to sharing Jesus, a little help is this. When it comes to sharing Jesus, look first at those who are interested and who are putting their hope in something other than God. If you want to know, well, who is it? How can I know if somebody's far from God? See if they're putting their hope in something else other than God. And then also, look for somebody who maybe is interested. That's what Jesus did. He had the deeper conversation with his disciples who were interested in getting clarification about the parable. Three quick takeaways is this. Jesus didn't tell everyone everything. Instead, those who were more interested, he told them more. And lastly he invested the extra time where there was more potential. Jesus didn't tell everyone everything, nor does he expect you to tell everyone everything. Jesus understands the limitation of time you have, the limitation of influence. So seek out the person who's more interested in the gospel. Start there. And invest time there when you see that there's more potential. Now, the connecting point to the first two talks. Week one, we said this. Don't expect or assume that people will see what you see. Because if somebody's far from God, they are spiritually blind. They, cannot, they simply cannot see what you see. That's what it says in Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. They just cannot see what you see. Last week, we added in, help them to see what you see by watching what you do. Now they're observing your life. As you are the non-anxious presence in the world, they're observing you, they're observing, are you you freaking out when the world's freaking out? Or do you have a peace with God? Are you that non-anxious presence in the calm of the storm? And then the bottom line for today is this, help people see what you see by telling them what you see. So you help people to see what you see by telling them what you see. So that They understand the hope that you have that is rooted in Christ. That he is your reservoir of emotional strength. That you've taken this message of going seriously. That you recognize that the world is separated into two categories. There's there's no ambiguity. There's no middle ground. There's no, well, what about this? What about this? He says, no, the world, the people of the world are separated into two categories. The wheat and the weeds. And when we live with that mindset. We not only will, will live our life with greater purpose. We'll understand. We'll understand something so important about the people around us. That they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And maybe part of your story is sharing your story with them. So that they can find themselves in the middle of the storyline of God. So I want to ask you a question before we go, and, and it's it's a very upfront question. And in these in these moments, we we always look for we look for a loophole, we look for a way out, we look for what feels good. And I can't give you that. When Jesus taught this, this parable, he he mentioned the wheat and the weeds. And you, ladies and gentlemen, or in one of those two categories. There's no third category. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the finished work of the cross of Jesus. So maybe maybe you've been faking it for a long time. Maybe you've been avoiding church or you've been trying to be spiritual, trying to fill up that that emotional strength, that reservoir with yourself. But I want to give you an opportunity to to begin a new journey with Christ today. So I invite you to pray with me, please. Father God, I, I thank you that we can truly have hope in you. And that when we have hope that's rooted in you, In the gospel message, it empowers us to be your hands and feet. It encourages us to to claim these promises for ourselves. God, when we have that hope, it brings us together in community. When we have that hope, we, we share our lives with one another. And we find a commonality that the world just can't see. And God, for the person who is here and who's listening, and maybe they're troubled, like internally, they're troubled. They're troubled because maybe for the very first time that they thought they were of the wheat, but now they know they're of the weeds. And they've been confronted with their situation. God, for that person... I pray that you would give them a boldness and a confidence and a humility to come and see me after this service. Jesus, that that I would do the same thing that you did. You gave the information to the masses, but you gave opportunity for deeper conversations afterward. And God, if there's somebody who, who, who needs the gospel, who maybe in in some intellectual ways, they they know about the cross and they they know about the resurrection, but yet now they actually want to cross the line of faith and they want to get beyond themselves and they want you, they want the hope of the gospel. God, I pray that you would give them courage, give them strength, give them humility to come forward and to make things right. And Father, I, I, I pray lastly for the person who's listening, who's going to take this message of going seriously. Who is clinging to these takeaways they're thinking, yes, I've got this coworker that's lost. I've got this family member that's lost. I've got this spouse that's lost. I've got these kids that are lost. I need to be looking for opportunities. God, I pray that you give them opportunity and I pray that you give them the mental clarity and you give them the Holy Spirit of God to meet them in those moments so they can do what they're being led to do. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us first. Amen. Amen.